Thank you very much, Bill. Do keep that open. Let's have a look at that for a few minutes this evening together. And uh, the question we've given ourselves this evening is that question, how can you help me to follow Jesus? Or how can we help each other to be those that follow Jesus? Let's pray first. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the risen presence of Christ. And may, by his spirit, he speak to us, assure us of his life and equip us in his service as we listen now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you about three people who have helped me to follow Jesus in the past. Steve was a good friend at college. He'd been a Christian a lot longer than I was. I was a very young Christian when I got to college. Uh, And he helped me in those early days of following Christ, answering questions about a lot of the basics of Christian life. How to read the Bible for yourself and how to pray. He taught me Christian living, really, in many ways, and the the value of encouraging each other, of praying with each other as Christians. That was Steve. Phil, he was a senior leader on a summer camp, a summer youth venture that uh, we helped on as students. I was, again, a young Christian, and he taught me skills, if you like, as well as discipleship. He taught me how to lead a Bible study group, how to give a talk for the first time, and that kind of thing. That was Phil. Thirdly, Mike. He was a Bible college principal with a huge brain and a very demanding job. Um, And over the occasional beer, he would teach me perseverance in ministry and help me to keep going at times in ministry when I just felt like packing in. What do those three people have in common, Steve and Phil and Mike? Well, all of them in different ways helped me to follow Jesus. And it wasn't particularly that they were experts in Christian living. They certainly wouldn't have called themselves that, or they had all the answers. They wouldn't have said they did, but it was that they knew that as a follower of Christ, I have a calling. They had a calling to help other people to follow Jesus too. And that they relied upon not themselves, but the presence of the risen Christ to make that happen. And in today's passage in Matthew, we got to the end of this gospel. It is the presence of the risen Christ that's right at the heart of this story that drives the disciples forward. Jesus appears to his disciples here. He's in his new resurrected state of being. That's something we can say easily, but not imagine quite so easily. And he instructs his followers essentially, doesn't he, to continue the work he's been doing when he's gone. He will return to heaven shortly, and he says, this is now your task to go and make disciples. And so, the end of Matthew's Gospel, it's actually really, isn't it, the beginning of a whole new chapter, which his disciples are going to be the key players in. And the key point right through that story, and the three things we're going to pick up tonight, it's all the same thing. It's the risen Jesus that enables me to follow him and enables me to help others to follow him too. So the first theme, the first point from this is this, that meeting the risen Jesus leads to worship. It has to all start with worship of the risen Christ. What's really striking in the, just this little summary Matthew gives us of this extraordinary encounter, it must have been extraordinary, on this hilltop in Galilee, is the focus on Jesus. And as he kind of, as it were, paints the historical Jesus for us, he draws out these two particular colors about Jesus. One is the color of his divinity. That he is absolutely supremely divine. 
Uh, and so you'll see it in a, in a number of ways here, but it says in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. They fell down at his feet. That's all that that simply means. And that's because they recognized unmistakably, perhaps for the first time, some of them, that this was not just a man, not even just the Messiah, this is the Son of God. Unmistakably, because of his risen appearance, his body still physical, remember Thomas wanting to stick his finger in his side, and yet transformed, glorious, a heavenly body. Unmistakable, because of the authority he has as he commands them and sends them and promises to be with them always. The language that uh, God uses in the Bible of I am with you always. Straight from God's words in the book of Exodus. And here is Jesus saying uh, that's me. So he's divine. That's the first colour that Matthew paints him with here. The other one is that he is also king. His kingship as well as his divinity. So verse 18 he says All authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. And as he says that, he is claiming that the the kingdom of God, which belongs to God, is entrusted to him. The kingdom of God is now in his hands. All authority is entrusted to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. He's saying, isn't he, that There's no square foot of earth that isn't part of his kingdom, that is not under his rule. And actually, there's no human heart either that is not or will not one day bow before Jesus as king. There's an Anglican theologian last century called Austin Farrer. I was reading recently talk about the resurrection. He says this. He said, nothing like it has ever happened, this appearance of Jesus as divine king to his disciples nothing like it's ever happened or can happen that the heart of heaven's being the son of god should visit earth and leave on earthly senses he means their sight the stamp of heavenly substance so in other words people have never seen the very presence of the living god in this way before no thoughtful christian he says can allow the resurrection to be placed in one category with any other class of events. Nothing else has happened like this, not even any other miracle like it. So he's divine, he's king, and they fall in worship. It does say some of them, if you read that carefully, doubted or hesitated is the word there. That's almost certainly simply that for the disciples, as it would have been for you or me, to suddenly meet the risen Jesus, not only back from the dead unexpectedly, but in this extraordinarily glorious divine form, was too much to take in at first. It was a progress of understanding. So what a privilege it is for you and me that to be a follower of Christ starts with meeting him. Some of you here tonight, we may not have met him yet. I would just urge and pray and love you to keep searching for him until you find him, until you meet him till he appears, as it were, to you, as he did to me when I was a 17-year-old in this church. What a privilege to discover, to encounter, to see in our spirit, to worship the risen Christ, the glorious Son of God, to praise him with our lips, as we're tonight in our service, with our hearts, but also to offer our whole lives to him. As if to say, Lord, you are worthy of all that I am. I hold nothing back.
discipleship begins with worship. Meeting the risen Christ. It leads to worship. It also leads, secondly, to obedience. You see the logic there in verse 19. All, all authority is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name, the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. You see, Jesus has been making disciples himself. He's gathered them through his, what we call his incarnate life, his public ministry until his crucifixion. But now, he's saying, it's now your job to go and make disciples. I've been doing it. Now it's over to you. You If you've been following the football at all, yesterday, Norwich City, um, had to get some football in here. He's passing them the ball, isn't he? Saying, now it's your turn. You run with it. And he says, doesn't he, go and make disciples of all nations. The walls that separated God's people from the world are, are coming down now so that all nations can hear the good news and respond to it. All can become disciples. All can learn to obey him. And if you read the story of Acts, the disciples took that seriously. They didn't stay in Galilee. Uh, it did take some Holy Spirit and to some ways, in some ways some hostile prompting to make them go. But they went to the world with the good news, and they called the world to become disciples, just as we are called to be and to do the same today. Disciples who make disciples. Now, this morning I said a bit more about this at our annual meeting, kind of in practice, about what does it look like to be someone that makes disciples? It's a, it's a simple command in one way, go and make disciples, but what does that involve? And we talked about how our Sunday worship, as we gather, we can help each other follow Jesus as we meet tonight, as we talk in our seats, as we pray together, as we sing together, as we talk over coffee. We can do the same in our small groups. If you meet midweek or some of you are meeting afterwards tonight, we can encourage each other. We can pray for each other for the things that we're finding difficult. We can do the same in our own quiet time, just keeping ourselves strong in faith by opening the word of God and spending some time with him and in prayer each day. We'll talk more in a few weeks' time about one other thing that that we're very keen as a church council to to build into our culture, which is the idea of meeting one-to-one with each other to help each other follow Jesus that way. One-to-one Bible reading and prayer, we call it. More in due course on that. But we're basically to make disciples in everywhere we can, wherever we can. That word disciple, it simply means someone who follows, someone who's come under the leadership of a master of Jesus. Announcing the kingdom of Jesus to someone and calling that person to follow him in repentance and faith. Now you notice Jesus did mention two things here, um, baptizing and teaching. Now those are not so much the most important two ways to make disciples as things that always accompany making disciples. These are things that churches just do. We baptize people because it's a sign baptism. That water is a sign of the new birth that happens in you when you become a disciple. It's a sign of the new birth of discipleship. We teach the Bible, the gospel, the words of Jesus because that's the teaching that helps us discover what it looks like to be a disciple. 
So to make disciples, we're going to baptize, we're going to teach, but we'll do lots of other things around that as well. So here's my question for you. Disciple. If you're a disciple tonight, here's the question. How are you doing obeying the risen Christ? If you've met the risen Christ and turned to him and worshipped him, how are you doing obeying him? Are there ways in which, at the moment, in your faith, in your Christian life, you are growing and that's encouraging? Are there ways, is there an area in your life in which you know you're not yet living in a way that pleases him? And that's challenging. How are you doing obeying him? Because meeting the risen Christ leads to obedience. And the second question, following on from that, is if we're called to be disciples that make disciples, how are you doing on the second bit? Who are you discipling at the moment, helping to follow Jesus? Or helping to find Jesus. It's all discipling. That's the command of Jesus, isn't it? Go and not just be disciples, but make disciples. And maybe some of us, we're very good at starting the first bit, but we haven't really recently been engaging in the second bit. Don Carson writes that a failure to make disciples is a failure to be a disciple. And I think that's right. If you or I are saying... Um, that I'm a disciple of Christ, but I can't actually think of anyone I'm helping to find him or follow him. I'm not sure I'm a disciple at all. So as a church at the moment, our vision is very much that vision, to be a church of disciples who make disciples. That people may be saved, that Christ may be glorified, but it's about being a church of disciples that make disciples in whatever way opportunity comes. And we're all different. So it could be at work, someone you're praying for at work. It could be at school, uh, maybe you have a Christian union you can be part of. It could be in your family, praying for children, for parents. It could be someone that you, you meet up with regularly to pray for each other, to read the Bible together. It could be someone you, you phone sometimes and you pray for each other down the phone. All sorts of different ways. But how, disciple, are you making disciples? That's the question. So... Meeting the risen Christ leads to worship. It all starts in worship. It also leads to obedience, being and making disciples. And then thirdly, lastly, meeting the risen Christ leads to confidence in his mission. Confidence in his mission. If you get halfway through verse 20 as a disciple, you probably feel quite daunted uh, go and make disciples, teaching, baptizing them, uh, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, full stop. And you think, goodness me, um, I've just been handed the baton by the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God, just to carry on his ministry. And if you were one of those disciples, or anyone today, you are going to feel completely overwhelmed, aren't you, at the thought of taking that on, stepping to those shoes, even a level of them cannot possibly do what the Son of God was doing. There's a apocryphal story told about Jesus returning to heaven after his mission on earth, and he gets to the, to the pearly gates as well, and the, and the angels meet him and say, how did the mission go? And he says, oh, you know, it went fine. It all went to plan. They said, that's great, that's great. So, so you know, you, you, you've, you've saved the world. Um, how are you going to get the message out now to the rest of the world? And Jesus says, well, it's fine. I've left 11 men down there to do that for me. And he just kind of goes, you what? 
11 men, is that it? Is that your plan? But you know, and people, humans, they're so fallible and, and weak, they'll never do it. You must have some backup, some other plan. And Jesus just says, no, I have no other plan. Now, it's a powerful story, that, isn't it? And it does make the point that for the disciples, as Jesus prepares them for their mission, for our mission, and prepares to return to heaven, in a sense, he's leaving them to get on with it. And their life, if you read the book of Acts, is going to be much more dangerous after his resurrection than it was before it, actually. It's a challenging mission. Some of the world will hear the gospel, some will be hostile. But that apocryphal story of the angel, it leaves out a really important point that makes all the difference here. And that's the risen presence of Jesus that will be with them. Because he doesn't stop in the middle of that verse, does he? He goes on, he finishes by saying, and surely, that means you can be sure of this, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Those are words worth memorizing. I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And you might think, if you're alert, you think, well, hang on, Richard, he's just about to ascend to heaven and leave them. How can he say he'll be with them all? It's a good question. Of course, the answer is that shortly after the ascension at Pentecost, he will then pour out the Spirit, his Spirit, on all believers. The Spirit who is the risen presence of Christ among us and with us. The Spirit who unites us as the body of Christ to Christ, our head, there in heaven. So that he is with us always to the very end of the age. So there he is, the risen Jesus. Uh, you might say, as someone said, that he's more present in heaven than on earth. I guess that's probably true. Uh, he's more present to people, to human beings, I think this is right, than to just to creatures, to animals. He's more present to believers, Christians, than to non-believers. That's certainly true. He dwells within us by his spirit. But he's also, I think, more present to disciples than he is to half-hearted followers and that's the point here isn't it if we live in worship and obedience he will be especially present with us by his spirit always I know people say to me um, I believe if I could just see the risen Jesus in front of me in the way that they did then I could see the resurrection and in a sense that's what we can't can we he's in heaven now until he returns, we won't see him face to face. But I think that's a fallacy, actually. We can see the presence of the risen Christ because he is present among his people. Here among us tonight, you can see him today in his disciples, in whom his spirit lives. As we encourage each other, comfort each other, love each other, support, spur on each other, you see the presence of the risen Christ with us. And the world around us has never seen anything like that. It's powerful. I've been reading a biography of John Bunyan recently. He was the author of Pilgrim's Progress, one of the great Christian classics, still a bestseller, uh, 350 years later. He also had another book in which he kind of told his own spiritual story, an autobiography, his spiritual journey from being a really pretty wild young man to being 
a follower of Christ, a preacher, and a writer of great Christian books. He talks in, at one point early on in, in that story of, of how God used different people to bring him to follow Christ. Uh, in some ways, kicking and screaming. He says one day, he was walking down a street in Bedford where he was working, and he says, I came where there were three or four poor women sitting at a door in the sun, talking about the things of God. Apparently, they were probably, they were probably making lace. That was a big thing in Bedford, apparently, lace-making. I drew near to hear what they said, for I was now a brisk talker myself in the ways of religion. He was getting interested, you see, in faith. But I understood not, for they were far above my reach. Their talk was about a new birth, about the work of God on their hearts, how God had visited their souls with his love in the Lord Jesus, with what words they had been comforted, refreshed, and supported against temptation. They spoke as if joy did make them speak. They spoke with such appearance of grace in all they said that they were to me as if they'd found a new world. He says, I left them and went about my employment again, but their talk went with me. For I was greatly affected because by them I knew I lacked the signs of a godly man and was convinced of the happy condition of him who was such a one. He wanted, you see, to find Christ. Now, isn't that interesting that those women, they were just sharing with each other what God was doing in their lives and the verses of Scripture that had meant a lot to them, quite naturally. And God's been using that kind of mutual sharing of Christ to build up Christians and to bring people to faith for centuries. John Bunyan was converted not only by hearing sermons, but by the normal Christian lives of people that were following Jesus. That's because the risen presence of Jesus, yes, it leads us to worship, first of all, and it leads us to obedience to that call, but it also leads us to confidence that he is with us always, and he will build his church. He will change lives. He will transform people. He will make disciples if we'll just offer ourselves to his mission. Because yes, you and I, we are so weak to fulfill the task he's given us. We are uh, completely unable to influence another person for Christ in our own strength. But Christ is with us, risen and present. By his risen presence, he will bring life to the dead. He'll bring light into darkness. He'll bring hope to the fearful. He'll bring direction to the lost. And he will secure redemption for all who turn to him from the dark paths of sin. Let's pray now and give thanks for the risen Christ. So Lord, we simply pray now that you will assure us of your risen presence and that as we meet with you, you will move our hearts to worship, whether we've known you risen in our lives for many years or whether for the first time tonight we are meeting you. We pray that you'll move us also to obedience. To be those that seek to live out your ways and to share you with others. To call people to your kingdom. To your eternal grace. And that we'll do that. We'll go from here in the confidence, not in ourselves, but in the presence of you. 
the risen Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.